Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So, if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So, if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So, let's get started. Today, we are starting a new book of the Bible. It is the book of Ephesians, and I'm really excited. Uh, Ephesians has always been one of my favorite books to look at, but I'm even more excited now because we're going to um, be studying it um, even more intensely with Dr. McGee's great, great studies. So we'll walk through together uh with this, and of course, we'll, uh, Matali and I will be reacting to the scriptures as we go through the study with you. Just to set this up, um, just for some historical perspective, uh, where is this church supposed to be located? Well, if you think about the the nation of Israel, and if you sort of look on an imaginary map, you've kind of got Israel and sort of to the left of Israel, you got Egypt, all right, in the, you know, you remember Egypt, and then to the right of it, you've got, you've got Jordan, okay, which is sort of, it begins with the letter J, and so does Jerusalem, so Jerusalem is sort of, um, if you can imagine where Jerusalem is, sort of right a little bit in the uh, middle, lower part of, of Israel, then just sort of going to the right of that, going to, you know, uh, eastward um, is Jordan, okay? And then a little bit above that is Syria, okay? And then um, directly uh, north of Israel, um, there's nowhere else to go except the Mediterranean Sea. It's just directly north is Lebanon, if you extend past Jordan, remember you've got Jerusalem, and then you're going to the right of that or or uh, east of that, you've got Iraq, okay, and then Iran even past that. So, um, of course, Saudi Arabia is underneath Iraq. So, Iraq is where you've got, you know, your famous Tigris and Euphrates River. The Garden of Eden was supposed to be somewhere in between that. That was one of, uh, that's where... Um, uh, the Babylonian Empire was where the you know where the people of Israel got carted off you know into uh, slavery in that direction. Um, above 
Israel, you've got Syria, and above Syria, you got Turkey, you know, and that's where the Assyrian Empire was up there in Syria and Turkey. And so now, as we begin to go above Syria, now we hit Turkey. Turkey is sort of that link over to um, uh, to Europe. Turkey is is the extension of Asia. Okay, so now we're up in the Asian continent. Um, and then, as you come across Turkey, uh, you eventually go uh, across Turkey, and you hit. Um, um, Ephesus. Ephesus is a port city of Turkey looking out into the Mediterranean. And on the other side of that um, um, sea is Greece. So, um, so Ephesus was sort of this port city. And then looking across this, uh, this sea, of course, you've got the Mediterranean Sea. Everybody knows where that is. But, but this sea that's called the Aegean Sea, uh, and this was this part of the Mediterranean that extended up in between Turkey and Greece. Okay, so you've got Greece where Athens was there, and this Corinth, um, these great port cities um, in Greece, and then you've got the Aegean Sea, and then. On the other side of the Aegean Sea, you've got this great port city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is uh, where Paul was. Uh, and then, of course, once you go north of Turkey, there's some land bridges that get you over into um, what we consider Europe today. And that is gets you over where Greece is. And that would have been how... Um, one of the ways people would have walked over, or they could have gone over by by boat. And then, of course, once you get over into the Greek area, that's where the Philippian church is, the Thessalonian church is, the Corinthian church is. Those were all Greek churches. And, of course, if you go even farther to the left or farther um, east, um, I mean, excuse me, farther west, um, you get to Italy. And that's where the Roman church was. So again, we're starting in Jerusalem. You know, we're going north through Lebanon, through Syria. We hit Antioch. And then we're going west. That would be western direction or sort of left in your, in your mind. Uh, and you go through, um, you go through Turkey. You get to Ephesus and you go even left of that. There's the, the, um, Aegean Sea. On the other side of that, you've got Athens and Corinth. And so this Ephesus, this Ephesian church was this great city in in Asia in Turkey, modern day Turkey, and then of course, um, then you've got these other Greek churches: Philippians, the, Thessal the Thessalonian church, the the Corinthian church, and then further west, um, you've got the Roman church. I might have said east earlier when I meant west. So anyway, hopefully. You're able to put a picture in your mind of where this church is located, and if not, you can Google it and um, get some uh, direction there. Okay, so let's uh, set a little bit of, of history there. Ephesus, uh, now we're in Turkey, this Ephesus or uh, Ephesian area, this is the Ephesian church, but this city was named Ephesus. And it's probably historically the second most important city in the whole Roman Empire. Because remember, the Roman Empire extended through 
you know, Italy, Greece, and into Turkey, and it came down and extended down, and the Romans were even in control of, of, of Israel. But um, Ephesus was probably the, the second most important city, according to Dr. McGee, in the Roman Empire, only, second only to Rome. It uh, had a lot of Greek influence to it because there's a whole bunch of trade going on across the Aegean Sea. But it also had an Oriental background in from from Asia, so it was a very it was very much an international city. It was a gateway area, uh, a gateway from people traveling from from the the European side, you know, Italy, Rome side. They would have to come through uh, Ephesus, this big port city, if they're making their way down uh, by land, at least uh, through. Um, through um, uh, modern-day Turkey now to get down to where, um, you know, Syria and Lebanon coming into the Middle East. Of course, they could sail there also by boat, but that just shows you Ephesus was this at this great um, um, intersection of East and West, of uh, the Western culture of Europe and the Eastern culture of Asia. A lot of people coming and going here. Ephesus was probably this great port city. It had marble streets, white marble streets. It um, it, it um, had a, a lot of wealth, a lot of wealthy citizens. We can see some of the houses of the citizens today. Um, yeah, it's been described as a treasure trove of archaeology. Um, and it had this temple of Artemis. It was huge. Now, if you if you kind of have in your mind's eye about the Greeks and the Greeks built the Parthenon, you know, and you kind of have you know the marble columns and all that stuff. If the 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 one that you don't think about is this Temple of Artemis. Now, that's supposed to be um, you know in your mind's eye. It looks just like the Parthenon, except it's four times larger than the Parthenon. This thing was big. I mean, it put the Parthenon to shame, and it was called one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This was um, a beautiful area, and it and it had like um, when you look at some of the archaeological uh, models based on what they're finding, they had these great highways for not for cars, but for people to walk. They were marble lined, and it, of course. Um, you would uh, pass uh, this area. It would be an area for people to come and pray and, and worship. Um, inside, uh, according to Dr. McGee, there was a really vulgar image of Diana, the goddess of fertility. Inside there, there were a lot of uh, different uh, displays of art. There was a um, there was a big picture of Alexander the Great throwing down thunderbolts. That thing used to be in there. Of course, the Ephesian city had all kind of things like a theater, an athletic field, gymnasium. Um, there were um, just a lot of different things for the people to do. There were shops that were lining these um, roads, if you will, these marble walkways or just you know, we would call them sidewalks today, I suppose, but there were big boulevards just for people to walk around and sell things. So um, that was a, uh, the city of Ephesus. Now, when Paul goes there, 
Paul went there on his third mission trip, and he stayed there uh, three years, and he preached there. Now, this letter was written um, um, when actually Paul was in jail. So Paul was in jail in Rome, and he writes um, this letter to the Ephesians probably 62 or 60, 62 years A.D. after Jesus' death. But he was in Ephesus probably 52 to 57 A.D. So he was there three years, but it was, um, um, and he made a big impact on planning the church in Ephesus. And of course, he's writing this letter to encourage this church um, years later when he is in uh, prison in Rome. So on this third mission trip, before his imprisonment, he stayed there three years or so. He had a big impact on the church. He preached the word really strongly. And this uh, a letter to the Ephesians is considered one of the greatest uh, or one of the great, if not one of the greatest um, letters. Of course, I'm really partial to Galatians. Uh, we studied Galatians, but this Ephesians is supposed to take it to a, a really high level. And according to Dr. McGee, and that's another reason I'm so interested to, to make this study with you. But he uh, preached really strongly, and this church was a really influential church on the other areas. And he had so much influence that he began to um, be more popular than the pagan um, priests there. And there was a riot in the city because of Paul, uh, because uh, this church in Ephesus was gaining so much prominence. The religious leaders were being put out of business uh, of making idols. So the church grew, and it probably, according to Dr. McGee, it probably grew stronger than any other early church in this time. That's a lot of cool history. I just love the, the biblical history part of things. Now, um, the other thing just to tell you is, well, what happened? Is, the, is Ephesus still here today? And the answer is no. And is the temple, this great temple of Artemis, still here today? And the answer is no. Um, why? Because, well, um, and it's, it's sad because you, it's only really the only thing that's left of this great city is just ruins, a bunch of archaeological remnants, which is, you know, rich there because nobody's living there. So it's just, it's like this barren archaeological area. That's why they call it this treasure trove. But what happened was, is there was a, several earthquakes, and that just destroyed uh, this beautiful city. And there, there was a fire that burned the temple of Artemis there. And I think there was a fellow that actually set it on fire because he was so enamored with it, he wanted to set it on fire because he wanted to say he would be the one to do it. And I think they tortured him. They tortured the fellow that set this grand temple on fire. And then they, they said that it, anybody who even said his name would be put to death. I think that was the way I was reading some of the history. So in any event now, a lot of the harbor had been, is over the years, was filled up with things and, you know, debris and things and, you know, how harbors get. Um, but it's not even a harbor anymore. The harbor at Ephesus is not even there anymore. And now, according to the history I've read, 
it's like 10 kilometers in uh, away from the Aegean Sea now. It's been filled up with so much other type of debris and things, and maybe it was erosion of the land that, that filled up the Aegean, this port city. Whatever the case, it's like uh, Ephesus is 10 kilometers inland now, so you can't even get to it by boat. So this great port city, this great uh, area is is not even on the map anymore. So that's the historical perspective. Um, Dr. McGee really only had time to go into two verses. We'll look at those two verses, uh, and and then I want to add a couple of things. Um, Verse 1 in chapter 1 of Ephesians, it starts out a greeting from Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Dr. McGee stopped there. Um, That's the end of the study. So let's take a few things apart uh, as he made points. And then I would like to add a couple of points too to expand on that. An apostle, again, was one who directly knew Jesus. They were supposed to know him before and after his death. An apostle was supposed to have supreme authority, you know, to settle disputes and to advance the gospel message and to write scripture and also found churches. So that's what an apostle was. Now, Paul did not know Jesus. Paul was out there persecuting the Christians, um, and uh, during the time um, around Jesus' life and death. So it was later that, um, I think it was, as I was reading the the historical timelines, I think it was probably um, Jesus comes to Paul in a vision. That was probably somewhere 30, 35 years after his death. So Jesus comes to Paul and... You know, in a vision, and uh, Paul is converted, and um, so Paul makes it plain that um, he was an apostle not by the traditional means of being an apostle. He was an apostle by the will of God. Okay, so Paul. Um, he had, but he still had this special apostle status according to the will of God. And so that sort of sets the authority. And you'll see a lot of that in his letters. He'll say an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He says that in a lot of his letters because those who would be reading the letter, uh, it would be a way of giving the reader, sort of his authority status to say the kind of things he's saying. And Dr. McGee says also, this letter was probably written with the intention of being read by many churches as it gets passed around. This letter is sort of an open letter to the Ephesians, and it's a very lofty letter to the Ephesians too because this church probably had such well-educated people in it. It was such a strong church. The Word of God had been preached so strongly there. He had been there three years. It was probably a really well-developed church. It was probably 
the finest example of a New Testament church, you know, around. Even Dr. McGee said this church probably knew how to be New Testament church even better than some of the churches that we see today because there was such a strong emphasis on uh, Jesus Christ there. And some many churches today get off the word of, of the gospel. You know, they get so consumed with doing things and doing projects and, you know, being involved in the church and doing different things that the emphasis sometimes of Jesus Christ is is lost or it's sort of demoted because, you know, there's a fun drive and there's a charity this and there's a this, that and the other when Jesus Christ is not front and center. So that's probably why uh, another reason Paul was writing uh, this the letter of Ephesians is so intense that's probably because the people could understand it and read it, and uh, of course it was meant to encourage the other churches that would read it to to share their intensity. So again, Paul starts off letting people know he's an apostle, he's got this status, and then he it's interesting that he refers to Jesus as Christ Jesus, and McGee points out that he refers to to Jesus as Christ Jesus a lot. It is very um, repetitive. And the reason he does that is he points out that Jesus was the earthly name. You know, Jesus had a name. His name was Jesus. People would say, hey, Jesus, how you doing? So they would call him Jesus. But after his death, after he was raised from the dead, um, the, the Christ, the person, the Savior of Israel, the one who's supposed to redeem them, their king, which was supposed to be the Christ, okay? It was supposed to be the king that redeemed uh, the, the, the nation or freed the nation. The, the, the king that all of Scripture was pointing to would be this great king, even greater than King David. Now, of course, we've been studying the Psalms. We've been studying what a great king King David was. It was supposed to be even greater than King David, and it was prophesied. It was it was the, there was prophecy uh, that you see um, in the Old Testament, but it's that that um, acknowledgement of who Jesus is, who he was, and who he is. He was the Christ. Okay, and that term is a is a glorification term that um, that. It's the glorified Jesus. It's the it's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy in His name, um, and so that was the title. He was glorified. He redeems the nation through His death to save the nation. Of course, that's the um, the gospel message. Is of course the people in Israel didn't realize it, but the gospel message is what saves us today too. It redeems us today too. And he is our king today, too. So all of the the applications of Old Testament prophecy for the nation of Israel is the same thing that um, applies to the Gentiles. It is also the same thing that applies to, to us today, to all nations and all peoples today. So that is the, this glorification title that Jesus gets, and Paul gives it to him. So right off the bat, Paul tells everybody who he is and who Jesus is. He tells everybody that he is an apostle, 
not by you know just random chance meeting or or not random chance, but he was not he it was not by the will of man that he became uh, an apostle. It was not he did not live and meet Jesus directly, but he was an apostle by God's will, divine intervention, and he's also naming Jesus Christ out as who he is. He is the glorified King of Kings. Okay, so, and it's all by the will of God. Okay, so verse 1 sets the stage very powerfully. And then he says, now he addresses it, uh, the second part of verse 1, to the saints. Now, what is a saint? So, uh, McGee points out again that a saint is anybody who calls is called to trust God, to be holy. And so, a lot of times, you'll see the word saint and uh, that refers to, you know, believers in Christ. So, you know, kind of growing up, you hear people talking about saints. And my image of what a saint was is some monk up in some monastery, maybe lighting a candle and, and saying some holy prayer. And, and it's some person that's just sort of off by themselves in this, um, you know, um, um, monastery, you know, humming, praying, and singing, and doing saintly things. That's sort of this image I had growing up. But the Bible's image, the New Testament image of a saint, what Paul writes of a saint is somebody who is called to trust and believe in the Lord. And it's sort of like this um, this uh, description of a person, okay, uh, the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So the, it's like two dimensions of a person. And Dr. McGee points out that there's sort of this Godward aspect of the believer and this sort of manward aspect of the believer. So when we are called to believe in Christ, we have a part of us that is very spiritual, and our eyes are always looking to heaven, and our eyes are always focusing on God, and and it's like we're we're living in the world, um, but we're like citizens of another world. That's that's sort of the saintly component of your your Christianity of your of following Christ. Because the Spirit of God comes in you, and you become a different person, and you're 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 a saintly person, and then there's the and it says to the faithful, the faithful is sort of like that that manly uh, or worldly aspect of the believer. In other words, you still have to go to work. You still have to have a job. You still get sick. Your toe still hurts when you stub your toe on a chair. You know, you're still dealing with earthly issues. And that earthly stuff that you've got to deal with every day requires your faith. And and um, so you're faithful is the manly aspect, the worldly aspect of the believer. The saintly part, the saint, is the Godward aspect of the believer. So again, we're beginning to get into the 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 um, the really um, deep aspects of Ephesians. Ephesians is really getting into is go, apparently, according to Doctor McGee, a lot of the the really uh, lofty uh, thinking of what 
Christianity really means. And so as Dr. McGee brings us all down to common sense, he says there's really, uh, now that you've got the gospel message and people are called to have faith in, in Jesus Christ, there's really two kinds of people now. you got the saints and you got the ain'ts. Okay, that's supposed to be real down-to-earth theology there. You either believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus. You're either called to be a saint or you're an ain't. So if you're an ain't, that means you ain't a saint, right? So again, just um, a practical way of looking at it. So that's what a saint is, and that's what uh, the address to being faithful is. Now, the most important part of verse 1, Dr. McGee points out, is the smallest word in the whole verse. It's, or one of the smallest, it's the word in, in Christ Jesus. Okay? So again, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So he said, what's the word in supposed to be about? In is really how you define your salvation. So don't miss this little word. How do you define salvation? Well, you could say you're redeemed, you're raised, you're um, cleansed, uh, you are... um, um all there's a bunch of different words for being saved um and uh, without going into all of them right now um this little word in um Dr. McGee says really sums it up being saved means being in Christ Jesus being joined joined into Christ Jesus you know, you can talk being redeemed, being sanctified. Um, there's big words called propitiation, which means, you know, he took your sins upon himself and took your place. Or being sanctified by his blood, being justified through the law, you know, being saved. You know, all these words are sort of descriptions of this new relationship that we have. When we believe in Christ, it's described as being in Christ Jesus. Paul describes it as being in Christ Jesus. And he's going to be describing being joined into Christ Jesus, the Lord, into one spirit. And this one spirit is this new relationship that he is talking about and Jesus is was talking about also. And this makes... The Christian faith extremely very different than all other faiths. Dr. McGee points out that Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship. And is that relationship to Christ Jesus that is unique. And it is a very unique relationship that when you believe in Him, you believe in Him and then He lives in you. His Holy Spirit comes inside you and lives in you. You're not a new, you are a new uh, person in that spiritual sense. 
you have to have faith in the worldly sense, but in the um, in the spiritual sense, you're a new person, you're a new creation. You have a Godward aspect now of you. Okay, and rather than me try to expand on this, I thought, um, and doc, this is where Dr. McGee ended his first today's study, but rather than try to explain this out a little bit more, I took, um, I went into the book of John and I kind of wrote down um, a lot of the verses that Jesus Christ, that Jesus was um, talking about. So I want to read a few of them from John 14. We'll be reading from John 14, John 15. And through 17, look, and I just wanted to do a quick little study of how many times Jesus talks about being in him. Okay, so let me just start. John 14, chapter 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Okay, so Jesus right off the bat is teaching people that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And he had a very uh, unique relationship. He had a unity in the Father. Okay, so this unity, you know, um, we have the whole, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, Um and he had a very, very unique relationship with his Father in heaven. John 14, chapter 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me and will do the works I have been doing. Let me read that again. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So whoever believes in him. So now he's in the father, the father's in him. And now he's saying, if you believe in me. Okay, so belief in Jesus is, again, fundamental. John 14, 14, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So again, we're believing in him. And when we ask in prayer, he's telling you to pray in my name. Again, Jesus Christ in him. So, uh, we can pray in his name. We can believe in him. These are all aspects of this little word in, how in is used. Okay. John 14, verse 20. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Okay, so he's got this special unity of relationship with his Father in heaven, but he is actually giving us a unity with him as well. And how does he come in us? It's his Spirit. He is giving us his Spirit. Just as the Father gives Jesus his Spirit, his relationship, Jesus then can pass on that blessing to us so that we will have His Spirit living in us. And then through that, we have access to the Father because we have unity. We have unity with God. Jesus um, gives us peace. You know, He gives us reconciliation from our sins. Now we have complete peace. And we have the unity 
of being with God. In the Old Testament, you couldn't even approach God. Now we have this unity with God. John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, again, it's that special relationship, I in you. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, so when we have this unity of Christ through the Holy Spirit, then our actions are to be living and producing fruit of the Spirit, but only because of His presence in us. So His presence in us causes us to be the presence of God on earth for someone else. When we share that Spirit with someone else, it's not by our works, it's by His presence in us. Okay? John 15, verse 6, If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burnt. So if you don't remain in him, being in him is crucial. It is critical. John 15, chapter 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask Whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. John 17, 21. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus is praying now. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's talking about being in us. That May they be in us. Because he has unity with the Father. So we'll have unity with Christ, Jesus Christ, and also God the Father. John 17, 23, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. John 17, 26, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This unity in Christ, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be saved, is to be in Christ. The first verse of Ephesians is really, again, the gospel message. Um, Our faith is important. Um, Our salvation is only through Jesus Christ, to be in Jesus Christ. So, I hope this was helpful and encouraging. It's exciting as we start our study into Ephesians. I'll turn the podcast over now to Matali. Matali, I hope you're great, and I hope you're just as excited as I am to study this great book. So, take it away, Matali, and from me to all of you, God bless you, and I'll see you next time. Hello. So, today's teaching is coming from the book of Ephesians. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It's a brief introduction. And um, it's a brief introduction of um, the epistle. 
and it's directed to the church of Ephesus. Um, that's in Ephesians. Um, and Ephesus is in Turkey. And um, the church of Ephesus is one of the greatest churches ever. Um, that's on a very high plane and um, one of the um, biggest and, and, and greatest churches, Christian churches. So um, <coughs> it reads, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ. Grace to you and peace from the from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this was a was just a very brief introduction um, to the church of Ephesus. But this wasn't only directed to just one church in Ephesus, it was directed to um, the body of believers in um, Ephesus. Um, and, but Paul couldn't mention each and every one of them. So, um, Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus. Um, here it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But um, from Dr. J.P. McGee's explanation, it said Paul, um, he just rephrased it just a little bit didn't change the meaning but he says Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus because Paul knew Christ <coughs> um, and Christ is the title of Jesus so Paul um, didn't know um, didn't know him as Jesus Paul knew him as um, um, a glorified Christ so Paul was one of the apostles of Jesus and um, you know from the from 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 the derivative of what um, Dr. J. P. McGee um, outlined, um, there are um, some telling factors that you can actually outline and 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 see um, who who is an apostle. So um, an apostle um, received commission from the living lips of Christ. So they were commissioned by Christ Jesus. And an apostle saw the Savior after resurrection, um, the time Jesus was resurrecting into heaven. So an apostle wrote scripture. Paul wrote scripture. Um, an apostle exercised extreme authority, exercises extreme authority and can work miracles. Um, <coughs> God anointed the apostles to, to work miracles. An apostle um, is given the universal authority to commission churches. And um, <coughs> this is what Paul did. But Paul was an apostle um, by the will of God. It is written in, um, in Galatians 1 verse 15, in Timothy 1 verse 3, in First and Second Corinthians 1 verse 1. Um, so in Galatians 1 verse 15... Um, it reads, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. So Paul was actually commissioned by God's grace to become an apostle. Timothy, <coughs> 1 Timothy 
1 verse 13 reads, um, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I didn't, did it ignorantly in unbelief. So Paul was actually um, an apostle um, by the will of God. God commissioned Paul um, and um, Christ, sorry, Christ, God, Christ commissioned Paul. And um, Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus. Um, he had actually seen the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Um, and um, he had actually um, met Christ in spirits uh, when, when he was asked why he persecutes <coughs> the church of Christ. So um, this is what made Paul an apostle. So here in verse 1 it reads, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Um, to the saints who are in Ephesus. So um, the saints in Ephesus, a saint who is a saint. Um, so a saint is um, one who's trusted in Christ and um, he is set aside for the sole use of God. So a saint, um, if you are set aside so that God can use you, you are a saint. And, um, you know, saints... Saints are saints because the position of Christ um, and, you know, saints are saints, sorry, in, in, in the position of Christ and they can be used to, um, for Christ's sake, um, to do the will of God. Um, a saint should be saintly. And um, if we look at um, who a saint is and who a believer is, a believer um, should be faithful and the saints should be saintly. It doesn't mean uh, if you're, um, you know, like you're, you're a believer that's, um, <coughs> sorry, um, if you're a saint or if you live a certain way, um, a saintly way that makes you a saint. No, yeah, you, you can be, um, you have to be a saint and also believe in Christ. So, um, and, and, and be a believer who is faithful in Christ. So, in, the, um, in this particular instant, what does it mean to be saved? So, um, to be saved means um, to be in Christ and um, to be joined in Christ, to... to Um, you know, we are joined um, to Christ by the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we are put in the body of believers. And this is what it means to be saved. So if we are baptized by um, the Holy Spirit and we are made one as a body of believers, um, we are made one with our fellow saints and believers and... Um, we are in, um, you know, one body of believers. We have one common um, unifying factor, which is um, Christ. So, you know, the great accomplishment of salvation is um, we are in Christ Jesus. Um, scripture says, "Ye in me and I in ye." So, we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. Um, 
So Paul was an apostle and he came um, to this and he was addressing this epistle, epistle to the saints of Ephesus, the saints who are um, who are believers um, and who are saved and, and, and are baptized, um, who are saved and joined to Christ. Um, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and um, you know they are joined together in um, um, in one body of believers. So Paul's mission was to um, was to ad um, he addressed this particular um, epistle to the saints of Ephesus, and. Um, his introduction is um, of this particular epistle is to <coughs> the church of Ephesus, one of the um, greatest churches that um, you know that's had a diverse um, um, a diverse following um, people from Asia, you know you know where West met East and. Um, Paul was um, was coming to actually was addressing this epistle and was um, coming to 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 the saints um, who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ. So um, to the saints and to the believers. So yeah, um, this was the brief introduction from what I understood, and I am looking forward further on to um, to learning more and um you know i'm praying for um you know guidance and 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 you know may the will and guidance of god guide us um to go through the the um epistle to the ephesians and understand it and yeah so this was today's introduction. Thank you for listening all. God bless and bye-bye.